So I was the beneficiary of some coaching myself. We were encouraged to recruit a network of 12 mentors. I've done this exercise several times with several workshops I've run and 90 plus percent of the time, you surround yourself with people like yourself. Immediately, that was a challenge that I need to diversify that network. I need to get gender diversity in there. I need to get age diversity, industry diversity. You have the most to learn from the people least like yourself. So I needed to surround myself with people not like myself because Tim's already taken. <laughs> Welcome to episode 158 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from people who inspire and motivate others to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. Working with mentors and embracing a commitment to lifelong learning can have significant benefits both in our personal and business life. Understanding different perspectives and building knowledge from others already experienced in our field helps us build on our strengths and improve our weaknesses. Tim Prosser has a background in IT, is a startup business mentor at Remarkable, and is passionate about reimagining lifelong learning. His work has connected people, assisted freelancers tackle business problems, and helped social entrepreneurs bring revolutionary and liberating technology to support people with disabilities. In today's episode of Be The Drop, Tim discusses the progress of entrepreneurialism in Australia. He shares his insights into lifelong learning, what we can do to overcome education challenges within our society, and what our government can do to remove some of these challenges. This is Tim's version of Be The Drop. When I find something useful for my business, I like to share the love. For royalty-free music on podcasts and videos, we love Soundstripe. It's got lots of great tunes, but none of the boring elevator music. As a Soundstripe partner, we're excited to offer you a 10% discount code. There's a discount link in the show notes or enter the code BETHEDROP at checkout. Tim, thank you so much for joining me here on Be The Drop. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, you've got your item of significance. So what I brought with me is a bike saddle. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably think, why on earth is this significant in my life? So I take part in a lot of um, charity bike rides. It's part of a way of getting involved in the community, putting something back and keeping my own fitness. But this particular saddle has been with me for 10 years. And I've ridden over 50,000 kilometers on this on this saddle wow. and raised over a million bucks for various charities. It feels like part of me now, but it's it's a big part of my life. So when you asked me to bring in an item, this was very quickly my first choice. Oh, fantastic. And we have definitely not had a bike seat before, no. And it's interesting because it does bring in being part of the community and helping others. And this is something that is really important in your work. So can you just explain that connection to what you're doing in your work as well? Absolutely. Um, I've been very heavily involved in technology in my, my 20 years of working and it's become increasingly clear to me in the last few years that community and social engagement has been at the cost of, of progression of technology and, and I increasingly felt it was incumbent on me to do something about it. 
What triggered my journey probably five years ago, unfortunately, I lost my father to dementia. And um, that kind of gave me a, uh, an opportunity to reflect on what I was doing in the world in order to put something back and, and make use of my, my own journey to primarily focus on what I call the generation of a social dividend supported through tech but making sure that it has revenue, cost, and customer associated with it. So it has to be viable. It has to be scalable. Um, it's been going for four years now. It's called Remarkable. And it takes early-stage tech startups who have an inclusive proposition in order to develop tech for disability and aged care sectors in, in Australia. Remarkable now has helped 26 startups in that time. Uh, it's raised over, I think, $12.5 million in capital to support those companies. And I've learned a huge amount by mentoring through that program. I'm a very passionate advocate for the need to reinvigorate a commitment around lifelong learning and why that's important. I've recently been doing some research with the University of Technology of Sydney here on this topic around lifelong learning in order to really understand what are some of the problems or challenges or barriers that individuals face in continuous learning. So I've made a very conscious effort to invest, um, I would say, about 1,500 hours in the last three years of my own time into learning, into mentoring, into coaching, peer-to-peer support a lot of reading, a lot of uh, podcasts uh, in order to try and soak up all of this knowledge. So where is it then, you know, you said 1,500 hours over three years. That that might not be feasible for lots of people because that's a big time commitment. You know, how does it actually translate to people... Other people. So first of all, I'll challenge that assumption. Okay. So Good. 1,500 hours, three years, essentially that's 500 hours a year. That's exactly the first response that I had. How on earth are you going to fit this in to a busy life? You, you may have family, you may have kids. When I first went into this journey, I, I kind of confined education to traditional establishments. And But when I looked at the much broader definition of learning, I thought, yeah, I'm actually quite I'm doing this, but it's it's predominantly informal. It's the formal bit is ten percent if you're lucky. So peer-to-peer learning, for example, that's where people do most of their learning, probably sixty percent. So right now, I'm learning about podcasting, for example. So it's an experience I haven't had before. Mm. And so then, what are the key things they should be learning? L- learning is a very personal journey. People learn in different styles, in different ways, through different methods. But peer-to-peer and social stands out as head and shoulders above traditional delivery methods through classrooms or something remote. People like the ability to learn and try, learn and apply, learn and... You can kind of guide and coerce people to trip across the to trip across these opportunities to learn and acquire things and um, it becomes a learning environment. Mm. And you mentioned that you listen to a lot of podcasts, which is, you know, and I do as well. Do you count that as the learning cycle? Absolutely. Podcasts, web searches... Little things that will challenge or inspire me or we're very lucky in Australia. We have a very active kind of meetup community and I think, you know, we're in WeWork now and um, I I go to a lot of events at at these kind of facilities or establishments where they're very engaged in the community. They're very willing to, to share um, experience or in some cases knowledge. Mm. So so this is a goal for you, build a community around lifelong learning and build a program around this. What's What's the outcome? What's the take? Yeah, the, the challenge, that's a, that's a great question. It's a question I, it's been keeping me awake at night for at least six months. Um, essentially, what I'm doing here is throwing the question out there at the moment and saying, right, how do we engage more people in lifelong learning? What is lifelong learning? I'm concerned that we're not going to get, well, there, there doesn't seem to be evidence we're getting leadership from the top from, from government. There's mentions of it, 
but it's not a number one number one issue, which kind of stirs the boiler in me in, in trying to stir up um, interest in this area. So what has been your experience? What's the best way to try and communicate this to get people to to come on board? I think initially as an individual, we each need to look at ourselves and understand where we are, you know, how much learning do we think we we take on today? So, and it may, it may include hobbies and interests, whether you go fishing or you like motorsport or you like sport in general. There's a degree of learning and education involved in that. And if you can align that with passions and things that you're interested in, then this intrinsic motivation starts to come back. One of the other exercises as part of my research at the university recently was to not only um, interview individuals from a personal journey point of view, but also to interview CEOs of Australian um, ASX20 companies. They were very, very different interviews to start with. So I got quite a consistent message from the community from the individuals around the opportunity to, to be able to afford the time to learn but they were looking for navigational pathways um, in order to provide assurance not a guarantee but assurance that it was going to contribute towards promotion or job security however when i did the the senior leader interviews the difference <laughs> of opinion um, was highly diverse the challenge is that we have a lot of people with legacy skills, that's probably not the right term, but, but they are invested in, in older world technologies, uh, which is great for today, but not good for tomorrow. We, we're really at an inflection point today to be able to engage and influence the direction and the uptake of where these technologies go. And as you say, there is this potential for great things. And so how do we bring those elements together you know, to help move people forward in Australia? I think at the moment everyone thinks it's everyone else's problem. But So I think people need to get a lot more engaged inwardly themselves and say, right, where, where, do, I, where do I fit on this scale? Uh, the number of people in 2017 that submitted a self-education deduction through their tax return, it's only 4% of the working population in Australia, which seems like a horrendously low number. Unfortunately, you can only submit a deduction if it's in your current line of work. Now that works for a linear career model, but it doesn't assist you if you're in transition. So government have a part to play in, in removing some of the barriers and enabling and facilitating people to change. If, if I look overseas, for example, um, Singapore really understand this challenge. Uh, Finland are a nation of lifelong learners. Um, there's plenty of case studies overseas where people are very much on the front foot. So if I look at AT&T, for example, in the US, 280,000 staff, and they wanted to move to a much more mobile software-based organization. Uh, when they inventoried their staff, they found out um, only 50% of them had uh, a science, technology, engineering, and maths kind of um, capability. So they made a public commitment to their uh, employees, to their board, to their customers, that they would bring that number up to 90%. So they embarked on a um, a multi-billion dollar multi-year program in order to retrain 109,000 staff over the last uh, five years. So the numbers, and they actually took that to the board and, and took a dividend hit for a, for a period of time in order to reinvest that money in their staff. So however, as a freelance worker, it's it's 100% my responsibility to invest in my own learning and development. Um, it's not something that should be uh, it should be encouraged by my employer, but I don't expect them to 
um, necessarily foot, foot the bill for it or, or afford me the time. And so you've mentioned as well then, just coming back to that, the freelancer and some of the challenges, what are the, the learnings that you've got, any advice you'd give for other people considering making that change or working as freelancers now? It's a work in progress. I won't admit I've got it right. I've become very, uh, much more mindful about what it is I can offer, what value I can bring to to an organisation or an individual. My uh, Rolodex of connections and contacts is a lot bigger now than it used to be. Numbers suggest that between 30 and 40% of the Australian uh, white-collar population, working population, um, will be engaging in freelance work in, in the next five years. So that loosening up of the more rigid workforce, this is this is slightly different to the gig economy, which is has other challenges, um, but this is individuals like myself who are mid-career, they're professional, they've, they've had a lot of experience uh, acquired over that time and moved away from a role-based definition of what I do in a job. So I think that's the the future of employable individuals going forward is diversity. And that's not diversity in the traditional sense of, of gender or race diversity. That's diversity of thought, diversity of opinion in order to bring that to bear because you never know uh, what problem you're going to have to face next. We've really got to uh, move away from this model where everything needs to be very predictable and it's managed you know, cost to the hour and everyone needs to do specific functions or roles in that time frame. Um, recent research suggests between three and five million Australians in the next 10 years are forcibly going to have to change occupation because essentially those, those jobs are at risk of being automated. Um, if they're not engaging early in that journey, then essentially they're in danger of being at the back of the pack and their future will be dictated to them by something outside of their own control. And that's not a, that's not a nice place to be. Uh, CSRO only last week published saying that Australians need to be a lot more um, engaged in entrepreneurism. They need to be less averse to taking risks. We need to be, we, we want people to, you know, step out and in front because the, the, the world is there for our taking. There's a really positive future here, but we need to engage with it to, to be- benefit from it. Mm, and that, that is such good advice. I think, you know, really diver- diversify yourself, really. That's what you, you've gone through this process. And, and I like that you, you said at the beginning there, you know, you really understand your value and what you can bring. Was that difficult to sort of get to or was that something you found quite natural to understand? It certainly wasn't natural. Um, it's a very interesting exercise in understanding what others see in you that you don't see in yourself. Something that comes naturally to me, I don't necessarily see because that's just what I do. But other people will reflect on that and say, oh, you're very good at doing that. And you go, okay, thank you for that. That's great. So for me, I, I love uh, connecting people. I love listening to people's stories and hearing some of their challenges and opportunities. Uh, and to me, it's very obvious. Uh, person X needs to talk to person Y because one's got the solution and one's got the challenge. And to me, like, why aren't these two people talking? Uh, and that's very obvious to me and it's like light and day and I, I love connecting people in that way. So do you think then the advice is to get, like, was it other people that tell you your value? How did you go through that per- process? And you said it wasn't natural. So I was the beneficiary of some coaching myself um, probably two years ago. And one of the things they encouraged me to look at, and I'd encourage all your listeners to do the same because this was quite a a, a pivotal moment in my my journey, we were encouraged to recruit initially uh, a network of of 12 mentors. Now, when that was first presented to me, it was like, wow, 12 mentors, that sounds like an awful lot of work. 
But essentially, each mentor was given an individual or they were recruited for an individual capability, whether they were people to support and nurture you, whether they were people to hold you accountable and kick you out the bum when you weren't doing what you were doing, or whether they were teachers and educators to grow you. Um, I ended up on a piece of paper just writing down the 12 or 15 people that are your go-to people in your network today. And I've done this exercise several times with several workshops I've run, and 90 plus percent of the time, you surround yourself with people like yourself. And immediately that was a challenge to me that I need to diversify that network. I need to get gender diversity in there. I need to get age diversity, industry diversity. And that made it very, very clear. Again, you know, we made the comment earlier, you have the most to learn from the people least like yourself. So I needed to surround myself with people not like myself because Tim's already taken. (laughs) Fantastic. You had your list and you had, you know, then what did you do? What was that step that tied it in to get them on board? People find being asked to be a mentor quite a flattering Opportunity, and if you present it in the right way, uh, I, I'm presented with this challenge. I'm looking, I'm looking for someone to support me in this way. Ninety percent of the times, people will say yes. You can only ask. If you don't ask, you don't get. So perfect. All right. Now, in conclusion, can you share Tim's be the drop tip? So that is your top tip that you think is how to communicate to motivate and inspire others. I've been thinking about this question and. It's, I need to stretch the definition of the question a little bit, but I think a phrase that, that has really resonated with me and is probably useful to share, and that is that when you go into something with no expectation of what you're going to get in return, it's amazing how you're rewarded. So unfortunately, in the world of work today, we think we're going to do something because we're going to get paid to do it. If you take away that reward and you go into something for the benefit of community and society in general because you can see a need for it, People will respect that and people will reward that in ways that you can't see coming. And that I've loved. And I think I would really encourage more and more people to live like like that. Well, I think that is great advice. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.